0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared as well. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And the disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age." and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone who hears, listen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. Christ. Ever since she moved into her house in Coralville, five or six years ago now, Melissa has had this one area in her backyard that she just didn't like. It was very crowded with, um, with ditch lilies, which are um, very beautiful in their place but Melissa didn't like this flopping mess of them all over her place. And two, there were quite a few iris, which were stunningly beautiful, particularly when they had their few weeks in the spring. But they had obviously been there a long time. They were very dense, too dense, needed to be split. And then too, there were weeds. <clears throat> most aggressively in the last year or two, uh, wild rhubarb whose roots were just hopelessly intertwined with the iris and the lilies. So you really couldn't, you couldn't get them out. You just kind of pulled as best you could and you broke it off and then soon it would be back. And it all added up to be, well, not what Melissa wanted when she looked out her kitchen window. So with a couple of weeks of staycation to work with and uh, not knowing, what would all happen before staycation would be over, I decided that the first day of staycation was judgment day. And I tore into it all with my spade. There was, of course, not only the inevitable collateral damage, but also because I was the one doing the judging, there was even more than that. And please, please don't overly harshly judge me. But three-fourths of the iris and 90% of the ditch lilies I dug up um, ended up in in, in the landfill. They could have been saved, uh, but I didn't save them. There was also a black-eyed Susan, a gift from a dear friend of Melissa in the middle of a big patch of weeds and I was so caught up in doing what I was doing and it hadn't yet begun to bloom that I didn't recognize it and it got ripped out and disposed of with its weedy neighbors i suppose there is a reminder here that in all cases not just in yards but in life it is better for all when god is the one doing the judging not us a couple days later i planted some shrubs and flowers that melissa and i had discussed and she did like and They went with this one remaining cluster of lilies and four small clusters of iris, which I had left, and then I put landscape weed fabric down, and then with a little help from Pastor Sarah's, okay with a lot of help from Pastor Sarah's voice, um, I covered it all with rock. And it's done. And it looks good. Melissa likes it. Grandma would have loved it, especially given the fact that the tall evergreen row behind it all is filled with cardinals year-round, her favorite birds. The weeds will be back, of course. Some, quite soon even, will find the seams in the fabric barrier and they will poke up through them. Others will find the holes in the fabric where the desired plants are and they'll sprout up right there with them. And then eventually, in a few years perhaps, but absolutely no doubt eventually dirt and compost of sorts will have built up on top of the fabric and weeds will begin to have at it even more vigorously and all the while too that one remaining clump of ditch lily being the extrovert that it is will ever keep doing its extroverted best to crowd into its neighbors personal space. So yes, flowers and weeds, getting it all done was hard work, especially with temperatures in the 90s and dew points in the 70s. And me being the one doing the work, there was collateral damage, some of it just unavoidable, some of it by choice, and some of it like the black-eyed Susan, just by plain old operator error. And it does look nice. But the work will never completely and forever be done, for every year, Guaranteed, there will arise weeds with the flowers. Which takes us to our text for today, where Jesus tells of a farmer who planted not beautiful shrubs and flowers, but rather a beautiful field of wheat, except that then when he was sleeping, an enemy of his I mean who needs neighbors like this? An enemy of his came and sowed weed seeds in that same field and the enemy did this so expertly that nobody had even discovered it until weeks later when some of the hired hands told the farmer that there seemed to be a bumper crop of weeds growing up there out in his field with his wheat. Commentators say that it was a particular kind of wheat being referred to here, and that's a, a wheat found in the Middle East that is called darnel, which is a poisonous weed, which when it first sprouts looks almost exactly like a blade of wheat. In fact, the two resemble each other so closely that most can't even tell that the darnel is a weed and not wheat until ear and grain begin to appear, and then it's too late to do anything about it because the roots of the darnel by then would have intertwined themselves with the roots of the wheat so if you pulled the one up you'd pull the other up too. And so when the farmers hired hands or slaves got kind of panicky and told them we've got to rip out those weeds, the farmer said no, 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 because he knew that if he did that they'd end up killing everything, the good with the bad, they'd have nothing. So what he told them was to let the weeds and wheat grow together. For a while, grow together for now. Wait till the harvest comes, he said. Then we'll cut it all down and separate the two, and the weeds will be burned, but the wheat will be gathered into my bins." And so it is, according to Jesus, with the kingdom of God. What I hear beneath this story, what I hear birthing this story are are two questions, which are really good questions and really difficult questions and even oftentimes even painful questions, both of which begin with the same oftentimes painfully questioning word, that being the word why. The first of the two is the question of why evil is such a persistent reality in God's world. I mean, especially if God is God and if God is good, why evil? in God's world. And the second is the question of why sin is such a persistent reality in the world and in the church if Jesus is in fact Lord, a corollary of which for those of us who are honest is why sin holds the power it still does in our own hearts and minds if in fact Jesus came to the world to save sinners from their sin and to birth them new. Some of you may remember from two weeks ago when that very question is what birthed an entire chapter in Paul's letter to the Romans, that being Romans chapter 7. Jesus in this parable doesn't tell us everything maybe we would like to know when we are the ones struggling with either of those two questions or the, 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 the various countless spinoff versions of them, all of which are questions which struggle with the reality of toxic weeds in God's field, whether those fields are the world, or the church, or our own hearts. But I do hear him in this story telling us at least a few things to know and to keep in mind when it comes to that reality of toxic weeds in God's fields, in God's world, in Christ's church, and in our hearts. The first thing is this, God has an enemy, and the enemy takes delight in sowing poisonous weedy seed right there in the same fields where God has sown good seed. In scripture, uh, including in our gospel reading, that enemy is referred to as the devil or sometimes as Satan, which for some conjures up Halloween images of pitchforks and horns and it all sounds terribly naive. And I'm sure that an image of pitchforks and horns and maybe red suits is naive. It's just that as far as the Bible is concerned, it is far more naive to assume that the only powerful powers at work in the world are powerful powers who desire good. God, this parable says, has an enemy, an enemy who delights in sowing toxic seeds, And his particular delight is we can get those seeds to take root and grow right there in the middle of the very fields that God has labored to plant. Those fields being God's word, God's world, Christ's church, and your heart. Which is what St. Paul was aware of when he wrote in our second lesson for today from Romans 8, just one of the awesome chapters in scripture, that that, that not just we, but we along with the whole creation groan with longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, says Paul, not of its own will, but of the will of the one who subjected it. And there, you know, I mean, this is a little bit of an aside, but there you have the reason that it shouldn't for crying out loud be, be thought of as liberals, it should be Christians who lead the charge in seeing that we change what we need to change in order to care for the earth. For the earth itself, Paul says, creation itself, Paul says, is groaning for the day when humans themselves will at last be free from the weediness of sin. Which leads to another thing in this parable which speaks to the fact that many people including I'm guessing all of us at one time or another uh, have been disillusioned by the ugly reality of sin in the church. I think of conversations I've had um, sometimes hearing painful things sometimes hearing angry things from one person or another who maybe used to do church but doesn't anymore and sometimes they'll say something to me kind of like well you know I sometimes think I'd like to but I know some church people. Like that lousy so-and-so, you know what that lousy so-and-so did to me once, and then they tell me what that lousy such-and-such did to them once, or at least their take of what happened, and my gosh, I find myself getting discouraged. And that's what I need to remember, and they need to remember, you need to remember, that the church, as long as it's the church in the fields of this world, isn't and won't ever be a place that's free from sin. The church in this world, rather, is a place where sinners are set free. Not because of their own personal ability to be good in ways that are more powerful than sin, but because Jesus, all the way to a cross, all the way to you, all the way to that lousy such-and-such, loves and forgives sinners. The church is not a storefront window where good people gather to be on display. The church is a place for sinners to gather around the word the promises, the mercy, the grace of He who alone has, who alone's goodness is more powerful than both the evil one and our own all too often completely willing compliance with the evil one's plans which doesn't mean we aren't called to struggle against sin it doesn't mean we aren't called to resist sin doesn't mean that with God's help we can't win some battles against sin in our lives people with God's help have won huge battles with sin in their lives it's just that in this life in this life we none of us will get to the point where we can say all right now now I've personally made it unlike the rest of you I personally am now and from this day forward weed free for there's no more sin There's no more anything God doesn't want in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my words, in my deeds. Which is exactly what Paul was wrestling with two weeks ago in that chapter, Romans 7, where this giant of the faith nevertheless agonized over the weedy realities of his own life. He said, I know what's good, I want what's good, and sometimes I don't do what's good. I know what's bad. I don't want to do what's bad, but I do it anyway. What the heck, he says. Wretched man that I am, he says. Who will set me free? And his answer to his own question is precisely not, I'm going to beat this thing. His answer to his own question is, thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace which he pours upon us and the victory which he won for us. It is not, in other words, spiritual roundup but rather the sweet fertilizer of grace that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ, which doesn't mean we don't seek to do what is good, but it does mean that doing what Jesus would do is most importantly not measured by the goodness with which we seek to rise above others. It is measured most importantly by the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, the patience, the loving good with which we reach out to others and to the earth. Which means, you understand this, that that lousy so-and-so neighbor of yours and his sin is actually not a threat to the existence of Christ's church. That lousy so-and-so neighbor of yours and her sin, most of all, rather, is the reason for the church. It's it's an opportunity for you to be the church. The church of Jesus. The church where sinners, sinners like me, sinners like your lousy so-and-so neighbor, sinners like you are set free, not by our goodness, but by God's oh-so-good grace. Jesus promises that there's room for each of us sinners in his church because there's room for us and our sin at the foot of his cross. And so, to the servants who want to rip out all hints of weediness, the farmer in this parable says no. And what he asks of us instead, in a weed-and-wheat kind of world, is that we be patient with one another, that we forgive one another, and that we never give up on someone as though they were a lost cause of sin and weediness, even if you think that lost someone is, is you. For God is patient, God is forgiving, and in this life, in all of creation, God gives up on no one. And yes, uh, the parable says in the end, the harvest, the judgment day will come. I'm sure it will. But you and I are not called to do the judging. We're called to fight the battles against sin and weediness in our own lives while sowing good seed in every field where the enemy has done his planting. And as Jesus says, the good seed is the Word, the Word which addresses us with something greater than judgment, it addresses us with grace for the best seed of all seed is this word in the mercy of Almighty God Jesus Christ was given to die for you and for his sake God forgives you all your sin believe that promise and you will no doubt with your weed and wheat heart in this weed and wheat world still have to struggle some struggles and battles some battles but believing the promise and resting your heart in it you will be struggling the struggles and battling the battles of one who is free. Thanks be to God for the victory that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.